Welcome to the Taking the Leap podcast, where you can learn how to launch your full-time career in this part-time gig economy. No matter what career you're in, you have the potential to be the best version of you and overcome whatever obstacles stand in your way. And now, here's your host, the CEO of Bonvera, Bob Dickey. Welcome back to Taking the Leap Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Dickey, and I am so excited to have a good friend of mine in our virtual studio today, coming from the great state of Texas, Ann Byler. And let me give you a little bit of background of Miss Byler here. Now, for those of you who have traveled around the globe and you've walked through a mall, uh, you have walked through an airport and smelled the most delicious, unbelievable concoction known to man, you have probably walked past a world-famous Auntie Anne's Pretzels little shop, you know, it, it, full of dough and salt and incredible butter. My family, we, that when we go to a mall, that is where we ultimately go as all the kids want to make sure they get a uh, an Auntie Anne's Pretzels. And we have none other than the founder of this billion-dollar global enterprise, Ann Byler, coming from Texas, uh, to our studio today. And so, Ann, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. You know, we've had the opportunity to, to participate, and uh, you've been part of conferences that I've held in the past with, with Crown, and uh, your story is so encouraging, and we, we couldn't be more pleased to have you be a part of this program, so thank you. Well, Bob, it is my pleasure, and uh, just when I got the invite from you, I'm like, of course, I want to do this uh, podcast with Bob, and thanks so much for, uh, for having me on your show. Well, it's our honor, and I know uh, our listeners are really going to enjoy learning a little more of your story. I mean, it, we at uh, Bonvera and on Taking the Leap podcast, we really celebrate entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurial journey. Our listeners are really wanting to glean and learn insights from other entrepreneurs, um, and specifically how they got started, uh, their their background, and the, the challenges that they overcame uh, to you know build their entrepreneurial pursuit, their their, their business. Your background is just so impressive, and that the the story is really inspirational for me and my daughters. So, as a father of, of four daughters, and living in this kind of it's no matter how you look at it, so we're 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 living in a very kind of crazy time right now, and I know. I know that there's a you know many parents like me who have young children that are coming up. You know we want to maybe be able to educate, teach, train, prepare our children to be able to be successful in life. There's a lot of people. Uh, the the old adage of you know, go to school, get good grades, graduate, get a good job. You know I think a lot of these social norms from the past no longer hold true, and I'm seeing young people who feel like. The, their pathway to success is to go down these traditional uh, paths, and they're they're saddling themselves with you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt, uh, and they're working hard, and they get out on the other side, and they're not finding a job, they're not finding a career, they're not finding their passion, and parents are watching this, and they're like, what what do, what do we do to help? Our children have success. And then I, I, I take a look at your story. Your pathway to success was untraditional. 
And I think that there's a lot to be learned. And I want my daughter, as a, as a father of four daughters, I want to ask you just, I'm just selfishly, I want to take a couple moments here. I'm just going to be selfish and say, give me some advice. Give me things that I could share with my children, my daughters. But here you are, a young girl growing up in an Amish community outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You have a seventh, eighth grade education, and you go on to start Auntie Anne's Pretzels which becomes a billion-dollar-plus global franchise. And it's just, just an unremarkable story. Now, I know God's been with you along the way of answered prayers, and but what are some of the things or what advice would you give my daughters today saying, uh, Dad, I want to be just like Auntie Ann. I want to be like Ann Byler. You know, what did she learn? How did she navigate all this? What advice would you give young girls? Oh, Bob, it, it's really a delight to be back on the on, on your show today, and thank you very much for allowing me to share uh, some uh, bits and pieces of my story, and as best as I can um, uh, encourage young girls or young mothers or anyone thinking about going in business, uh, I'll do it to the, the best of my ability today. So thank you for that. Um, I feel like um, there's so many lessons I've learned away, but let's go back to what I learned as a kid, mm-hmm. and which every father and every mother can do this for their children. And it simply is to teach them responsibility at a very young age. Teach them to be contributors to society uh, rather than simply a consumer. Uh, teach them to be contributors in the family rather than just um, having their own need, needs met. Uh, teach them at a very young age that it's more important to give to others than it is to take from others. I mean, Bob, there's so many little simple practical steps that my parents taught me. And by the time I was 19, I was mature enough to get married and have my very own family. Now, some people may gasp at the uh, thought of that, but in the Amish Mennonite community, it's very common to marry at a very young age. But they teach you all those things so that you become a responsible citizen and so that when you get married, you can manage your own household without the help of mom and dad. So if that sounds like I lived in another era and another time on planet Earth, I guess it's true. But at the same time, Bob, these are age-old principles that Mm -hmm. have worked uh, from the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes we we, um, miss some of the greatest truths about what it means to parent our children well and what it means to train our uh, the those coming behind us with these very simple and yet um difficult but truths Mm -hmm. and yet when you get that into your spirit and that becomes part of your dna you know faith community hard work uh honoring your parents uh respecting those around you i mean does this even sound like anything that you should or could carry into business, Bob? Mm, absolutely. And, you know, it, it re- reminds me of some of the things that I'm hearing uh, in the news. And we're talking about generations today that are uh, experiencing extended, they call it extended adolescence and delayed adulthood. And it strikes me that what you are 
uh, talking about, you know, it used to be where adulthood would start as you're graduating high school and it's like, hey, you're an adult, you're 17, 18 years old, you're starting to get into adulthood. Now, you know, with um, the, the this new term of delayed adulthood is happening in, you know, in the 30s. And so, the question I would have, it seems like what you're articulating, your background, your parents uh, and instilled a great deal of responsibility and discipline in you, and you didn't have extended adolescence. You ha actually had an accelerated adulthood where you were, hey, I'm mature, I'm ready to go, let's hit this. Um, it's hard to have success if you're still trying to be a kid, right? Uh, absolutely, and, and what I mentioned to you are things that are really important mm -hmm. in business. I mean, it's it's um, uh, what what I was what I was taught. Uh, I couldn't wait to be an adult. I mean, I couldn't wait to become responsible, and and it was somewhat like I couldn't wait to show my mom and dad. Uh, I mean, I really didn't think about it in that way, mm -hmm. like that precise with my thinking. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I really wanted to take what my parents taught me and work it in my own life. And I feel like what you're talking about, the extended, um, you know, um, adolescence, it, 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 I, I can't relate to that at all. What I can relate to is seeing kids, when, I, when I'm out and about, um, Bob, and I see hard workers in a restaurant or, or a department store, or when I pick up, you know, when I go to a, a mini market to get gas or some groceries, you know, you can spot someone that is responsible. You know, there's there's an air about them that lets you know uh, this kid, you know, someone's taught him how to be responsible. And very often uh, I will ask them, so who taught you uh, how to be responsible and how to work? I noticed that you're a very good employee and it always brings a smile to their face and they always have an answer for me without thinking. So, Anne, it just strikes me as you're, you're chatting about these things, you know, I'll have parents that will contact me and, and ask questions like, well, what technology courses should my kids be taking? What degree programs should they be taking? How can I help my child be set up for success? And there's all sorts of uh, little things that you could potentially do that would be meaningful in today's global economy. But if I take a look at the going back to the basics, if we teach our children how to be, and, and we demonstrate this, how to be responsible, how to be a person that, that exemplifies discipline, uh, a self-starter, someone who's accountable, uh, people skills. I mean, you're, you're just talking about chatting with uh, children and young people and asking them questions, and I'm sure they're sitting there looking you in the eye and they're a firm handshake. We think these are just, just basics, but these are the building blocks of success. If you can really navigate these types of things and have these in your tool belt, you're setting yourself apart from so many different people to be successful in life, right? That's fantastic. You're right. Uh, you know, and the other, other thing that I, I feel like part of what we're talking about right now is the discipline part of it. Most people don't understand the power of discipline. And discipline uh, is really, most times, Bob, it's doing something you don't feel like doing. Mm -hmm. You know, and discipline, but, but you do that long enough and often enough and eventually it becomes a part of your work habits mm -hmm. and the discipline of which was hard at the beginning now becomes a joy nearly because it's it's like uh, every morning you wake up and brush your teeth well it's because it's a part of your daily routine and when you discipline yourself uh, with good work habits um, over time 
it just becomes a part of the routine of your life. And when you find yourself in, in a place of uh, where there's great challenges for like, for example, what I where I found myself in business was, wow, I didn't know anything about business, but my discipline habits you know, took me into this place of, I wanted to know more, I wanted to learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. And I feel like discipline is really about doing what you don't feel like doing until uh, you get to the point where there's joy in doing it. I've got to imagine that Auntie Anne's pretzels wasn't an overnight international success, and that there were probably uh, at least a few days, maybe a few weeks or months or maybe, okay, years, I, I was going to let you say it, a few years, um, where you had to be disciplined as you're slogging it out, you're working hard, you're getting up every morning. There may have been doubts in your mind like, oh my goodness, is this ever going to work? Are we ever going to turn the corner? How do you remain disciplined during those times, because it's super easy to be disciplined when it's you're an international, it's a huge success, and you know you're on the front page of newspapers and magazines, and everyone's lauding you. Um, it's super easy to be disciplined then, right? It's like so that the the art, the story is how do, are you disciplined during those dark days when you're just slogging it out? I'm curious. So what what did you do? Well, well, so you're taking me back in, in my in my memory here, and but what I know is what I mentioned earlier: responsibility makes you. Makes you, helps you become a mature person. Mm -hmm. So even though I didn't know anything about business uh, when I started Antian, it was forty almost three years old. But I had grown in my uh, personal, uh, interpersonally. I was a mature person. I had two kids, mm -hmm. uh, two girls, eleven and sixteen at the time, and so I was mature, even though, and I was a responsible person. And um, when I entered the workforce, um, building the foundation of, of Auntie Anne's was some of the, well, not some, it was the most difficult journey that I'd ever encountered. Mm. I, I knew how to overcome a lot of things in my life. I'd experienced, uh, which we talked about in mm. your previous podcast, I'd experienced the death of our daughter and the abuse of our pastor. And overcoming all of those things in my life. Um, really uh, helped me to know that I could overcome anything or any obstacle that I face. So facing obstacles, I was, uh, uh, I was, it was common to me. Okay. Uh, I had done that in my past, but when it came to the business life, it was not overcoming so much those obstacles personally, but it was the the business thing that kept coming my way that I, Bob, I absolutely knew nothing about i didn't know anything about franchising i knew that mcdonald's was a franchise i knew the word i, I knew about that but i didn't understand what franchising meant um i didn't know anything about training people i didn't know anything about uh, writing manuals about um or even writing a mission statement or a, a purpose statement I, I knew nothing about that so initially bob it was going back to my roots it was uh, discipline. It was hard work. I would get up every morning, and there were times, literally, um, that I did not feel like getting up and facing the day because there were so many things to do, so many calls to make, so many meetings to attend, so many people to contact. Um, that that the um, possibilities of that day mm. uh, wanted to keep me in bed. Mm. I mean, literally, when I say that, I mean that literally. It's almost feeling overwhelming. You're just like, where do I even start? Completely, completely. And I lived that way for 
many weeks and many months. But again, I learned that discipline and doing what you don't feel like doing has great rewards. And I say that, Bob, with emotion because that's the piece that's missing, I feel like, in so many young entrepreneurs, people that dream about, you know, owning their own company. They want to be a CEO of a, a company or they want to just have a little pop and mom shop in, in their neighborhood. It, it, the discipline part of it and the hard work ethic is what I would keep going back to. I would, it's like I was a little girl all over again, Bob. I knew I had to get up out of bed and milk the cows, mm -hmm. even if I didn't feel like it. Mm -hmm. I knew I had to get up out of bed and get to my to-do list and do that even when I didn't feel like it. I, you know, initially I couldn't delegate. I didn't have the money. I didn't, I mean, we weren't making, you know, the kind of money that I could do to hire everybody to do mm -hmm. things for me. So initially, you know, you, you got to do it all. I, mm -hmm. I had to do it all for the first couple of years. My husband and I, my two daughters and seven or eight employees in my, in the two stores that we opened up, we did it all. And then from there, um, we saw the, the beauty and the joy of growing two stores and then 12 stores. And like, wow, mm -hmm. now I can look back two years and I say, we did all of that with about eight or 10 people. It was unbelievable to me. And I'm thinking, okay now the discipline paid off now i can see better mm -hmm. i can see my potential i can actually see what mm -hmm. i can accomplish so th there there are no shortcuts to experience mm -hmm. and you may have a degree and i am so all about education even though i wasn't didn't have the honor uh, or the privilege I, I got my ged when i was 50 years old but but there there's you know, I feel like education in, in I have to say this carefully, yeah, but yeah. to some degree, it puts us in a box. It does. You, you know, it unfairly. If you do uh, totally, if you stay in this, you know, do exactly what we tell you to do, then you're going to be successful. And guess what? That's a myth. It's really not true. What I discovered, Bob, is that when you live outside of the box of, of the rules and the the ways and the, the the teachings, I guess, of this world and of higher education. When you, if you can take yourself outside of that box, what I know, Bob, is that's where God lives, mm. because that is unlimited territory. Mm -hmm. And if anybody had a reason to stay in the box of, I can't because of whatever the yeah. reasons are that we give yeah. ourselves. Mm -hmm. I could have, I mean, I could have stayed right there and I could have said, I don't have formal education. I don't have a business plan. I don't have any capital. And, and when I say that, that I'm, that's literally, I had none of those when I started the company. So you got to believe in the fact that there's more inside of you than what anyone has told you. Yes. And you, you kind of begin to develop yourself and your skills um, outside of maybe outside of the educational system because I don't know I've never gone to college I have a couple of honorary doctor degrees but I don't know and you can tell me yes or no on this but I feel like the, the most important degree that anyone could get going through college would be the the people skills the power and the development of people skills mm -hmm. that's really uh, to me that is the most important piece that you will ever take into of the workforce.
It's, it's interesting that you highlight that. I, I certainly agree. Uh, I've also had a, a professor that uh, has said that the, the, the average shelf life of a college degree today is three years. The, the world is changing so rapidly that the things that you learn in college will be basically be irrelevant within a couple of years. And so his, his um, comment to the class was, the most important thing about college is developing an appetite for learning. Uh, learn how to learn. Become a lifelong learner. You're going to be on this journey your entire career. And so that's the most important thing If, if in, in colleges and schools, if they can inspire just this voracious appetite to learn and self-improve, to take uh, knowledge and information and leverage it into whatever career field you're in. Those are the most important things to have. Um, so I, I 100% agree with w what you've shared there. You know, I want to go back to training because you highlighted training a second ago, and, and I, I think there's a very robust training program that Auntie Anne's has with their franchisees, and Absolutely. and that that was a very important part. You were figuring out, hey, how do we train our people? How do we set them up for success? But you also highlighted, so I want to talk about that, but you also highlighted something about those moments when you're early on in your journey where you were laying in bed and you're like, I just, I feel so overwhelmed. I feel there's so much to do. Where do I even get started? And I, one of the things that I've done in my life, and, I, and there's many days that I will wake up and feel the exact same way. And the, and the best way for me to process that is I'm, I'm a guy that likes to write down lists. If I can put it down into a list, if it lives in my head and my, and my head's just full of all these running details, it confuses me. I don't even know where to start. But as soon as I can put my list, a list together of here's my, my daily plan, here's my weekly plan, Here's my monthly plan. I start having concrete plans I can look at. I can be checking it off. I can know I'm putting, I'm prioritizing the number one thing first. No, I'm not going to waste time on this. That does, that's not as meaningful. And it, it almost empowers me. And now I've got a clear action plan for the day, for the week, for the month. And it, it's invigorating for me to go down that list and be clicking things off. And, and th then there'll be things that there'll be times where I'm thinking about it, I'm stressing about it. I'm like, why am I stressing about this? That's, that's insignificant. I don't even need to worry about it. Okay, check that one off. I'm not even doing it. So that's a little, a little hack that I have. That, is there anything like that that you did when, when you were growing through? Oh, well, listen, Bob, I cannot imagine... Uh I cannot imagine life without a list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I began that that practice uh, immediately because it was there was too many things in my mm -hmm. day, and it's funny you mentioned that because uh, right now in my life, to just to bring you up to speed on where I'm at, I mean my life is not as hectic as what it was for 20 years mm -hmm. uh, making pretzels and building a company, obviously, but still at my age, uh, uh, you know. So the point is this: a list is good whether you're very young or very or much older. Um, at last night, so the the practice that I still do is write my list down. Mm -hmm. I have it on my phone, on my pages, but I also have a paper copy on my kitchen counter. And last evening before I went to bed, I looked at my emails. Uh, not a good idea, okay? Because you cannot do anything about your emails. Well, I mean, I suppose you can, yeah. but I don't work right. at night. Right. Um, so I, I looked at my phone and my emails, and there was, there was a, a number of things that came up that I didn't notice until about... 9.30 last night. And my mind started racing. The power of list. You described it perfectly. I thought, okay, so I get my legal pad out and write. There was about 11 things that were really bugging me. And they were all jumbled up in my 
in my head. I'm gonna. So I wrote them all down last night about 10 o'clock. And you know what? I went to sleep and forgot about it. And this morning, my head was clear, and I went down over my list. I realized, oh, this is really not a big deal. And I checked off about three of them already. So it's only 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. The power of the list. And I'm really glad that you brought it up. It's so, you know what, Bob? I honestly, it, it's the, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. It's really the little things and the simple things that um, that take you into your next level of mm-hmm. uh, maturity, of business, of opportunity. Mm-hmm. If, if we cannot manage the small things like what we're talking about right now, we'll never be able to manage a large company or the bigger things that may come our way, the bigger opportunities. So um, just some simple habits like that uh, will help you. And you also mentioned uh, becoming, uh, um, you talked about having a, an appetite for learning. Mm-hmm. That, that's critical. Yes. It's critical. And as long as you have an appetite for learning, you're going to keep growing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if at the end of 12 or 35 stores, I wouldn't have had the appetite for learning. By now, Bob, I'm reading every book that I can get my hands on when it comes to leadership, management, franchising, training, all the things that I needed to know. I began to pick up books, and every time I took a trip, I didn't read a lot at home because mm-hmm. I didn't. I wasn't at home very much. Mm-hmm. But every trip that I took, I would take a book or two with me and learn more. So, you know, the appetite for learning yeah. Is is a part of your your personal growth, your professional growth, and for me, it was also my emotional and spiritual growth. You you have to grow in all four of those areas if you want to uh, become truly successful. Right. And when I say successful, I, I don't want people to understand or to feel like it has to be a grand and glorious franchise around the world. Mm-hmm. That is not success. That's not how I define success. Mm-hmm. I define success as, are you doing what you love to do? I mean, you may be a successful mother of one child or six or seven kids, and mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you can put your head on the pillow and you can say, I did my very best. Yes. To me, Bob, Mm-hmm. That's success. Amen. Because when you do your very best, if you're a mom and pop operator in a little donut shop, mm-hmm. and you know that you have treated your people well, you have been kind to every customer that came to your window, even though you feel bad, you may be having a bad day, and you may be feeling down, but you can rise above that. Mm-hmm. And that's where people skills come in at. If mm-hmm. you can treat others with love, kindness, and respect, and lay your, you will be able to lay your head down at night with with peace and know that you have given it your best uh, that is that is in my opinion success amen i agree a hundred percent i think that I, i'm not one who likes to put labels on people certainly not labels on my children i'm a big believer that god has gifted everybody uniquely yes and that each one of us has a special purpose and reason for being here and that what god's called me to do is different than what god's called you to do yes and there there's not a one size fits all that we should be shooting for to be like well to be successful in life you know i've got to do this no you you nailed it perfectly it's like if you, at the end of the day 
you know that you you did your absolute best. You're you're striving to make a difference in people's lives. You're striving to make a difference in the world. It's, these are things that we desperately need. And some of the most successful people on the planet probably are not going to be uh, heralded in the pages of Fortune Magazine or the Wall Street Journal, but they are having huge impact doing exactly what God's called them to do. And I, I salute them. I give them a high five. I'm like, man, we need people like that. Amen. But Absolutely. One of the things that you're, you're so you're, here you are, you're on your journey. You've highlighted that early on. It's really important to have responsibility and discipline. Sometimes you can wake up in the morning and just feel completely overwhelmed, and you're still getting up out of bed. You're like, all right, I'm going to make my list and I'm going to go and uh, do these various things because I'm a person of responsibility and discipline. I'm a self starter. And you're navigating, you know, months, you said even years of just a lot of hard work before you're having, you know, the the success that we all know of Auntie Anne's pretzels today. And in the midst of all this, intuitively, you're like, I know that I've got to read. I've got to be a voracious reader. I'm reading leadership books and marketing books. and find, You're reading anything and everything that's applicable to you being successful in your business. And at the same time, you're creating and developing a training program for your company. Tell me what as you as you were creating this training and program company for. Uh, so you're you have a voracious appetite for education, but now you're training others so that they can be successful. What were some of the things that you were trying to incorporate into this training program, and uh, how were you trying to help employees and staff members to to have the right foundation as you're growing this company? Well, so as you're saying all of that, I, I'm realizing once again the importance of training. Um, so there's so much uh, in that subject right there. But in my own mm -hmm. experience, I knew early on intuitively, not that anyone told me this because once again, I, I didn't know, but intuitively I knew that if my one little store was going to reach the potential uh, and I didn't know what that was at the time but I knew that once we developed the pretzel um, that in some crazy way I knew that to be consistent with our product was really important although mm -hmm. nobody told me that mm -hmm. so I knew that meant that I had to initially my training was I'm just going to tell you what to do on the fly you know so I have eight or nine people working in my store and I I knew that if I uh, could mm, I'm not standing around telling people what to do right. <laughs> you know it's like a, it's like a football team right. you know the coaches on the sideline you know helping all the players they're talking telling them how to do it. and I saw myself as a coach uh, and working alongside my team, mm -hmm. and I knew I figured out that if I, when I roll the pretzels, I'm rolling pretzels as fast as I can. But from there, I can see what everybody else is doing. I can watch the interaction with the customer by mm -hmm. the seller. I can watch the baker who's baking the ovens. I can watch the one who's doing the work in behind me, and I began to just simply and make it simple to bark out orders. <laughs> We need to do this. So it was a, for eight months. I just really um, understood as I'm watching them do their work. No, the product is not ready to take out of the oven. So no, you can't do that right now. Or yes, that's a great idea. So I became a verbal coach, so to speak. Mm -hmm. 
Well, when I opened my second store, I realized, wow, okay, how am I going to do this? But then, Bob, is when I learned the the power and the the um, uh, the, the wisdom of delegating. And I had my one sister, and she had worked with me for eight months, and so she knew exactly what I wanted. And mm-hmm. what I didn't realize then was that I was actually training her to manage a store. All right, that was my initial response to training people. And um, that became my model, uh, literally, was to bring people into into my environment. It was initially with stores, and then it was in the corporate office, and mm-hmm. bring them into my environment and walk around every Monday morning, and I would talk to my people, and I'd ask them questions. I would talk to them about their lives. I would ask them questions about how work is going and how, how are you doing in your department. And so training is not just simply barking out orders like I did initially, but training is really role modeling. And training is really talking to your people to help them uh, understand who you are because the bigger you get, the more you, the leader, the owner, you get lost. Mm-hmm. And your voice is, becomes um, smaller mm-hmm. than the rest of the team. So my way of training, teaching, and being with people was simply by understanding that if I create relationships with people, if I train people to be excellent in what we're trying to accomplish, and in the training period, it's all about loving, respecting them, honoring them, mm-hmm. and to let them know that you care. Um, they're going to carry the mantle for you. Mm. And the training was all about uh, helping them understand that we have to be consistent with the product, with our customer service, with the cleanliness of our stores. And then um, and then the bigger picture was to appeal to the franchisees. Um, if they see the Auntie Anne store, they see how the employees are working the store, they see the great product. I call it the threefold philosophy. We start a training program in the store, franchisees come in, they look at that and it's appealing, they come to corporate and now we have a whole big training manual for them to follow the business model. So you see, I feel like sometimes we miss, again, the basics of training. Mm-hmm. And it's not me, the owner of the company, barking out orders, how everything needs to be done forever. Um, but it's really about role modeling what is important to you. And you do that with grace and kindness. Let me tell you, people will come flocking to you. They want to work for you. Mm-hmm. And they will carry out your purpose, mm-hmm. which is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. They will carry out your purpose without you being the boss. Mm-hmm. Or the one yelling at them and screaming and making sure that they know how to do everything. No, mm-hmm. no. When you understand that you're, you are leading them, mm-hmm. you are the example in everything. To me, that's the greatest training program. And then you may ask, well, how do you do that when you have a thousand stores? Yeah. Well, that's just a, that's another part of training. But initially, it's how we trained. It's, it strikes me that you spent many years developing experience and subject matter knowledge and expertise in your particular field. And so you were the 
a reservoir of all of that knowledge and experience. And so when you're creating your very first store for it to work well, as long as you are there to be able to say, guys, okay, here's the temperature of the oven, you know, put it in for this long, take it out. Now's when we put the butter on. No, no, we put the salt on the, the, then. How, now here's this. You've got everything dialed up. You know exactly because you've, you, you, how many pretzels have you burned? How many things, how many trash cans have been full of product that wasn't right, but you had it all dialed in. You spent years dialing it in. And so, you, number one, you you had all that experience. You're the reservoir. Then you realize, I've got to take this reservoir of knowledge and start to teach and train people around me. Oh, my goodness. The only way I'm going to be able to scale this from one store to two stores to 10 to hundreds and thousands all over the world is to create a training system where I can take my knowledge and experience and give it to other people. I love the way that you where you talked about you being relational. So in the midst of your teaching and training, you, you are still very focused on the relational aspect of how are you doing, how's your family doing, and making sure you're building those bonds of community. But over time, you create this system where a new person, a new franchisee could walk in the door and say, hey, you know what, Ann, uh, I'd rather not spend five or six years learning all the lessons that you learned. You've done that. I just want to take your playbook. I want to take your manual, and I want to take your reservoir of knowledge. Give it to me. Thank you for this playbook. I'm going to go execute it. Now, on day one, I can have success. I don't have to go through that five-year learning curve that, that you did. That's the power, I think, of having a mentor and a coach. That's one of the things I love about the franchise systems is that people like you learned the lesson, put it in a playbook, and then can give it to somebody else and say, hey, guess what? Here's a shortcut to success. Absolutely, you're 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 so right. And you know, uh, we talked about people and people's skills, and and training is really investing in others. Mm-hmm. You're investing time, money. <laughs> um, that's where I, I feel like that's where it's easy to overlook the importance of training because truly, it it, it is. An investment of your time, mm-hmm. your money. Because every time I walked the, the office, I mean, there was 150 or 200 employees in the office. It took time for me to do that. You know, valuable time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like sometimes we overlook. But let me tell you, that was the connection with me, and and also my connection with the employees. So um, as we as we took that outside of our own corporate office and kind of help franchisees understand the importance of training well now it means that they may need to invest in their employees Mm -hmm. and send them to the gap office for a week or two Mm -hmm. of training which means invest money into their uh, uh, into their business so that's why I feel like many companies shortcut the investment or the training process because it does mean time and money mm-hmm. and most times people will say i don't have the time and i certainly don't have the capital mm-hmm. but i feel like if we understand the value of that it's like putting money in the in the bank i mean you invest it in a in, in a great um stock you 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 buy into a great stock because you believe that that's gonna there's gonna be a return mm-hmm. I know, Bob, that if we believe in our people and we invest in them, I cannot tell you the the return of the investment. Mm-hmm. 
here I am at this point in my life, and I'm still like amazed at the power of that. And today, Auntie Anne's, even through COVID, they, they suffered greatly like every other company in the, mm-hmm. in the country, in the world, I guess, uh, which breaks my heart. But in spite of that, you know, I'm talking about me spending time with employees. I'm, I'm maybe I'm focusing a little bit too much on that. But but what that did was that it gave the employees security about the company. Mm-hmm. And when I sold the company, it wasn't about me. It was about the product and it was about the purpose. Mm-hmm. And when we sold the company, it just it just kept soaring. Mm-hmm. And so today, Auntie Anne's getting through COVID. Um, I'm in touch with my one brother who's still there. He's been there for almost 30 years. Wow. And um, he has such a heavy heart. It's such a, like, all these, you know, things that they've never experienced. But the, but the mission and the purpose of the company mm-hmm. is still there. Well, one of the things that strikes me is that your training program seems like it was very relational. You you invested your own, your time, your energy. You were very relational with people that you were coaching and mentoring. It's very different than someone saying, um, here's a book, here's an audio, here's a, you know, go watch this video, uh, good luck. You know, that that's a, diff- that's a completely different type of, right? This is a, you, you were very intentional in building relationships with the people that you were coaching and mentoring. And even as the company was growing and there's, thousands of employees geographically separated all over the place, you are still able to create a program that was highly relational. And it, it strikes me that that highly relational program's got to be a lot more successful than, you know, just a repository somewhere where you can just say, yeah, go pick pick up a book and read it and good luck. That, that's so, but, but that's the easy thing to do, Bob. Mm-hmm. Go pick up his book, read it, and it, you'll learn so much from the book. Mm-hmm. You know, books are important. And as I said, you know, I was constantly reading. And a book that I read after the fact, I read the book, uh, A Plankin on Leadership. Mm. It's a really small book, and you can get through it very quickly. But his his example, he was dubbed with an MBA. Uh, um, MBWA managed by walking around. Okay. That was his. That was his deal. And um, you know, when I read that book after 15 years of Auntie Anne's, I'm like, huh, wow. I didn't realize that most people didn't do that. Like, I didn't realize that was really important because many days, um, in essence, that's what I did. I guess I managed by walking around. I hated when I used the word hate. I use it sparingly, but I truly mean I did not like to be sitting behind the desk uh, nine, eight, nine hours a day. I wanted to be with the people. When I picked up that book, uh, the, the biggest part about the success of Abe Lincoln's life was that he wanted to be with the people. I would I would uh, encourage people to go get the book. <laughs> right. I, and uh, then you will. can understand uh, what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say because there you, you cannot um, – uh, encourage your people. Um, I want to say effectively. Mm-hmm. If you never show up, that's right. So you're, you're, what you're saying, Anne, is that you could you didn't sit behind a desk and just send text messages and instant messages and on Slack and emails. I mean, so you're. It's important for the leader who's de- growing a company and growing a team to actually be boots on the ground, on the front line, locking arms, doing the actual things. So you, you, so you are leading by example, is what you're telling me. And you know what? That's what leadership is all about. Lead by example. And you know, okay, let me let me be quick to say 
I was not by far the perfect leader. I, I'm telling you, I stumbled. Uh, I fell off the wagon a few times. I, I went to my management team meetings in tears. I mean, like really, I, I was so unprofessional initially. I learned how to become professional by watching people. And that sounds silly. I know you learn all that in college, but I watched it. I watched people wherever I went to see, oh, I guess I shouldn't do it that way or I shouldn't dress that way. Mm -hmm. Or literally, um, how I dressed mm -hmm. became a um, an obstacle for me. I didn't know how am I supposed to dress. And I didn't even have mentors around me to tell me anything. I was too busy building the company. But learning to be with the people and mm -hmm. understanding that I don't know it all and falling off the wagon is okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, <laughs> it's okay to say, I don't know that. I didn't know. And to be willing to ask the questions. I, I was always a little girl, a teenager, a mom. I was always curious. I was born with curiosity and I was never afraid to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to, to think and to believe and to know, I don't know everything. But I can ask questions mm -hmm. and I can learn from other people as I'm stumbling my way through this learning curve of building this amazing company. So leaders are good question askers. I, I, that's important. I love that. <laughs> Look, and I love so that. tell me, if you had tried to build your business the other way and you had said, oh, you know what, I'm the CEO. I've been on the front lines. I've been out there in the shops. I've been you know, rolling dough and baking stuff. And you know, I've been at the cash registers. I don't want to be on the front lines anymore. I'm just going to sit back in my nice CEO suite and I'm going to allow uh, people who want to ask questions, they can come, they can fly into the corporate office and I'll have a series of board meetings and people can come talk to me. I'll give them my knowledge because I'm this very experienced person, but I'm not going to be a leader that gets out on the front lines. I'm just going to sit back here. I'm going to be, I'm going to, now I'm going to transition into coaching and mentoring other people. How do you think that would have worked? Well, uh, I just feel like it, it, you you have to you have to be boots on the ground to understand what your company is all about. I mean, you can have a great product, mm -hmm. but if you if you can't um, implement that in ways that's appealing to the customer, they, they don't want your product. So I feel like uh, boots on the ground um, and um, my my experience with the people. I mean, first of all, I never really had a a huge executive suite. <laughs> I didn't care about that. Right. I mean, people would come to my, I will never forget when people from all the way, the, the people came from Jakarta, Indonesia. I mean, it's silly to me now, but at the time I didn't, I didn't know, mm -hmm. but we were in a strip center and my office was, um, uh, maybe six by eight. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was a very small little office with with a desk. I was I was a working mm -hmm. CEO. Right. I didn't need a desk. Mm -hmm. And okay, I know that sounds strange for a lot of CEOs in the suites of the mm -hmm. CEO suites around the country. And that's I've been there and I've experienced all that. I understand all that. But that was never, Bob, that was never important to me. When the people from Jakarta, Indonesia came, we gave them directions as to how to get to our office. Mm -hmm. 
as they came into our small town, they, they went to another city because they saw the sign Antiens, but they were looking for this huge uh, corporate um, uh, executive uh, suite in this huge building. Um, so next spring, um, they called us and said, hey, we, we got to town last night and um, we got to get Pennsylvania, but, but we're in Lancaster City right now because we couldn't find your executive suite. We couldn't find your corporate office. Mm-hmm. So we them, you know, where we were. And um, so they come back to our little teeny tiny little um, executive suite in Gap, Pennsylvania. And they were just shocked. But we, you know, Bob, it, it's really all about maximizing your finances. It's about maximizing your potential. It's about uh, maxing your um, your presence, your uh, your your presence, your product presence mm-hmm. in the world, and you can do that without all the extras. And again, it goes back to my my years of growing up on the farm and just maximizing, you know, doing the very best you can mm-hmm. with what you have. It sounds way too simple for most people to uh, grasp, but that's really my message: yeah. uh, maximize uh, what you have, and and you don't have to overextend yourself. Uh, to be successful or even impressive. I never tried to impress people. Was never, that, was an, that was really not part of my thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, I buy into the exact same philosophy. Uh, we have uh, very modest headquarter offices. I'm, I'm a, a stickler with trying to keep costs as low as possible. Um, I realize that you know, you know the the value of a company is not in its office space and all those types of things. Those are expenses, right? And I try to keep expenses low and profits high. So uh, it, one of my very first um, kind of maybe business experiences. And I wasn't even in the business world at the time, but it was an individual that I greatly respected. And I thought this person was a really, um, you know, a high flyer business guy. I was actually in high school at the time. And this individual had just started a business and they got the, like the, the best office space in Michigan. And this guy went out and immediately got a Corvette. And I mean, it just, I mean, it was spending money right and left. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, look, I want to go in business when I get older. Look at, look at how awesome this is. Little do I know, looking back, the business went under about a year and a half later. And as I'm as I'm looking back on it, it was a, the guy got just so excited about his idea and was just levered the whole thing up with debt and was spending money like a drunken sailor. And of course, you know, you can see you, you can see how uh, foolish it looks like at the time. But I think there's a lot of people in the business world who you know still pl- play those games, right? It's like um, it's all it's all about the show. And so I, I love the fact that. You, you were really dialed into managing your costs, understanding the value of a business, um, and and not trying to you know have all that all the flashy stuff. That's a that's a great story and a great reminder. Especially we you know Bonvera has a lot of young entrepreneurs that are we're teaching and training that are coming up, and I think those are really good points for them to remember, for all of us to remember as we're we're building our businesses. I want to take a uh, a quick pivot on on one particular topic. And I want to get some insight from you. Early on in this conversation, just a few just a few moments ago, you happened to mention it was a passing comment, and you were talking about all the various things that you had learned growing up on the farm as a young Amish girl and the responsibility and the discipline, all the things that your parents had taught you. And then you had been an adult for a number of years. But it was a passing comment. You said, "Well, it's important to remember I started Auntie Anne's when I was about forty years old." And it strikes me that we live in a society today that really celebrates 
all of these wonder kids who were starting billion dollar businesses at the age of, you know, 17, 18. You've got like, you know, and we hear we hear the stories, right? So Bill Gates drops out of college and he goes and starts Microsoft. And then Steve Jobs drops out of college. He starts Apple, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, Facebook. And almost on a monthly basis, we can pick up a Fortune magazine or um, Forbes, and on the front cover is some young, super smart uh, teenager or you know er- early twenties that has started one of these companies, and it almost feels like you know I've been hearing other commentators talking about how we're creating an environment where people feel like if they didn't have massive success in their early 20s or 30s, that somehow time has passed them by, the ship has sailed, and there's so many people that are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, is like, eh, I guess it's not for me. It just, you know, it wasn't to be. And I'm thinking to myself, you're a prime example. You're an individual who started an incredible company at the age of 40. And I've got a list of in iconic American companies that were started by people in their 50s and their 60s. I'm hearing that 60 is because of the health care that we have now and the advancements in technology. They're saying 60 is the new 40. They're telling people of my generation, be prepared to live to 100 and past 100 if you're having good, healthy lifestyles. Don't think you're going to be retiring at the age of 65. At the age of 65, you're, you're now in the sweet spot of your career. So what advice would you give people who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who might have bought into some of this, um, I'll call it a lie, that success happens when you're in your 20s? It's like, no, we've got all sorts of opportunity ahead of us. You're a classic example of someone who started a company at the age of 40. And what did you learn? And I would imagine that you were equipped and trained and had all the the right things at the age of 40 for you to be able to do this. And you probably weren't mature enough at the age of 20 to do Auntie Anne's. Well, absolutely. I, I mean, I experienced life. I mean, real life. <laughs> things were hard for me. Not my not my growing up years or my teens or my early marriage, but the, the uh, life is hard, God is good. Mm-hmm. I'm not confused about the two anymore, but I experienced some really, really hard stuff. Uh, from the age of 26 until I was um, 36, 37, 10, 11 years of real mm-hmm. dark times in my life that I, I thought I was going under emotionally, physically, and I, I really felt like uh, it was um, life was so bad I wanted to commit suicide. And I say that um, in all honesty, I I was so despaired about life, and so I understand I've been in, to that extreme of life, um, feeling like it's over for me at the age of thirty-five or forty. But I really, truly felt like life was over for me, and so this is the part, Bob, that I just have to mention, and that is that if 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 I didn't believe, if I hadn't believed that God is bigger than any one of my problems, I would never have survived the hardships of my own life. And by the time of thirty by the time I was thirty seven, thirty-eight, I truly believed that life was over for me. I remember sitting in the back pew of a church, feeling like I'd gotten through all these these terrible years, the darkness of soul. And sitting in the back pew of the church. I didn't I didn't want to sit in the front pew anymore. I'm like, I don't even I don't even want to go to church anymore. I'm just like feeling life is over and I'd been very active in my community in my church and uh, up until that time and I felt like I would never be able to contribute truly I, it's in my journal I would not be able to contribute to society or 
uh, make a difference in God's kingdom at 37 years old, 38. And so if I didn't believe that God was part of my life and that he truly is, um, I would have been completely hopeless and never been able to make a comeback like I did. So I want to say to all those out there who feel like life is passing you by and you're 30 maybe or you're almost 40. Um, or 50 or 60. Or 60. I mean, exactly. It, it's never too late. There's mm-hmm. always, I mean, you look and begin to look at what you've experienced in life and bring all of your experience up to wherever you are right now today and realize, Listen, you overcome a lot. You 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 now are fifty years old. Maybe your kids are now graduating and they're in college and they've been graduated from college, they have their own life. It's a perfect time for you to start um, a new life. Mm-hmm. And for me at forty, I started a brand new life. A life that I had never dreamed of, never thought was possible. Uh, but it's never too late. So if you have a dream and you feel like it died, let me tell you, if it's a dream that was birthed by God and you uh, it, it will. You can bring it back to life again mm-hmm. by simply believing and thinking about this dream, bringing it to life in your own mind, in your own heart. Begin to talk to other people or close friends about the dream that you had when you were twenty or thirty or forty. And I think life has passed me by. It's too late now. Let me tell you, no. <laughs> the best years of my life mm-hmm. were between the ages of forty and 65 Mm. the best years of my life i'm older than that now but i'm beginning a new Mm. uh mission that i'm as excited about today as i was at the age of 40 when i started how can that be i don't know but there's always more bob there's always more it it, it's 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 never a good time to quit it's never a good time to quit and it's amazing that here you are you're in that church you're in your late 30s you think that you're 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 as you're recounting this i can see the emotion in your face and i can hear the emotion in your voice and you're 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 reliving that moment where you're like my my life feels over like you're at your deepest darkest hour and little did you know that god's got his greatest victory for you just around the corner it's like literally a year later a year and a half later you're starting auntie ann's pretzels that has this that becomes this international a success story that's impacting lives and communities all across the world. I, I'm a firm believer. I, I've shared this with people. I, I see it in my life that it's in the middle of some of my deepest, darkest hours where the seeds of my best or my greatest victories God was planting. And so, Anytime somebody is in one of those moments, you're like, oh my goodness, I feel full of despair. I feel full of hopelessness. You know what? I don't understand what's happening. I'm usually, if I'm around that person, they're sharing that with me. I'm like, hold on, time out. Is that is that how you feel? Whoa, take a deep look. I'm telling you right now, somewhere in your life, the very seeds of your greatest victory are being planted right now. So right, so right. And I, I use the line all the time, out of our pain. Our purpose was being formed. And so a lot of your listeners today, you know, you don't have to go further than your next door neighbor. I Mm -hmm. just met with a lady last night. and You don't have to go any further than your next door neighbor to understand that there is the people that we know. Uh, have great deal, have a great deal of pain in their life, either in the past or in the present. And, um, you know, but if, if we can encourage people, like you just said, that out of our pain, our deepest uh, purpose, our purpose 
mm-hmm. is being formed. Now, I know that doesn't make any sense to anyone right now in pain, but let me tell you, just I hope that you've been listening to this broadcast, this podcast, and understand that of all the people in the world, I was the most hopeless. Of all the people in the world, you know, there was not a CEO in the world that would have come looking for me to be uh, the CEO of a new franchise organization. Nobody knew me. Nobody believed in me. I didn't even believe in myself. But God came looking for me. Mm-hmm. He knew. He knew that I was qualified because mm-hmm. he had seen me in all of my pain. And he had seen me overcome it all with his help. Mm-hmm. He, he saw the potential in me that the overcoming my pain had created mm-hmm. for me. Overcoming all these things made me strong, made me passionate, mm-hmm. made me, filled me with compassion. It filled me with a love for other people that I would never have had mm. if I would have started this franchise when I was 25 years yeah. old and knew it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so by the time I started, Bob, there's not much that I knew. I didn't know anything about business, truly. But what I did know was that through all of that, God saw me, he got us through, and as I began to develop and to end, I began to see the redemption and the plan that he had all along for my husband and my family's life. It's a beautiful thing. Don't ever give up on yourself and don't give up on God. Wow. What, what, there's nothing else I can say. I, I think that's the, the the absolute perfect way to end this podcast. I'm just, um, it's what a such what a blessing it's been to be able to once again chat with you. I remember walking away from our earlier recording and just being moved, and I, I had learned a lot. I'd taken a lot of notes, and every single time, and I get together with you and we talk. I, I walk away motivated, inspired, encouraged, and that's my hope and prayer for all the listeners who will be listening to this this podcast. You know, as a recap, I mean, we at the beginning of this one, we started talking about advice that you would give my four daughters and uh, what we as parents can be doing for our children to help equip them in a very tumultuous, ever-changing, fastly changing a global economy. We talked about responsibility and discipline and the importance of being a self-starter and being accountable and you know developing those soft people skills. And then the story arc as you talk about starting a company on at the age of 40 how you became a lifelong and voracious reader and learner, even in the midst of all of your busy schedule. You're, you're getting up in the morning, you're reading leadership books and marketing books and anything you can possibly get your hands on to be equipped. You have this gr- vast repository of knowledge because you, you, you had to grind it out. You were talking about you know, many mornings getting up and being overwhelmed with all the details that you had to, to, to navigate, but you made a list. And you just started ticking those things off one after the next, taking one step in front of the other, and all of a sudden you're making progress, and one day turns into a week, turns into a year. All of a sudden you have a ton of expertise and knowledge. You then start imparting this with your other, your sister and others in your very first store, and then all of a sudden one store turns into two, and you have now you're creating training programs to impart that knowledge onto other folks, and then you kind of 
help land the plane at the very end here talking about it was in the moments like right before you had one of your greatest successes in your career and right before you're here you are you're sitting in a church thinking i've come to the end of my rope it's dark i'm depressed i'm hopeless i don't know what's you know just where do i go from here and little did you know that god had been watching you helping you navigate your steps giving you all the strength all the knowledge that you need and here you are in in that moment right around the corner is going to be birthed one of your greatest uh, victories in life that impacted so many people and i want people to remember that particular point there's a lot of people right now that are hopeless in life they, they might be in a, a a bad relationship they might have lost a job a lot of people are uh, fearful because of things that they're we're constantly seeing in the media and so forth and there, there's just as you as you read the newspaper as you hear commentators talking there's restlessness and hopelessness that's permeating communities all across the globe and people need to be injected with hope for a better future uh, and understanding that there's not one person on this planet that is a mistake every single person is uniquely made uniquely gifted with a purpose with a mission to impact the world and when we find when we find out how uh, and we live in alignment with our Creator God, and we start living out our mission and purpose in life. To it, it's it's life giving, not only for us but for others. And so, I want people to anyone listening today who might be finding themselves in a in a spot where you're hopeless, you're tired, maybe fearful, not knowing what God's got in store for you. I want you to re remember at your deepest, darkest hour, your great is, are the seeds of your greatest victory are being planted. Yep. Bob, so well said, and um, a great um, uh, wrap-up for my whole life right there. Uh, but thank you, and really, it's, it's my, my purpose now, it really hasn't changed, but it's all about uh, giving people hope and giving people hope by sharing my life story and mm -hmm. uh, i'm just so grateful for uh, that we can do this today for your listeners and i pray that um, people are filled with hope and that they learn how to get up and or that they they know they can get up we don't have to stay uh, down and um, discouraged and depressed but we can rise above it but um, so thank you, Bob, for the recap on, on my story. Beautifully done. Well, I'm looking forward to having you come in uh, and speak at one of our events. I know as soon as uh, our internal audience hears this, and I'm sure it's going to go to all, all corners of the globe, and many people will hear this podcast and be encouraged and motivated. But I know our uh, internal Bonvera community will be super excited to have you at one of our uh, conventions here in the near future. And so offline, I'm going to get together with you and have you come in. I think it'll be fantastic. My daughters can't wait to see you again. They remember, they remember meeting you here in Knoxville and they're like yes yeah, she's the one that gave us those Auntie Anne's pretzels coupons and they had so much fun going to the our little store here in the mall just a couple miles away and we took it in there and they were so proud to be like hey I know the founder and so it was so you tell them if we meet again I'll bring them coupons uh, so it's uh, up to you Bob all right well hey I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take you up on it I'm gonna take you up on it <laughs> well ladies and gentlemen I hope you had a wonderful time this afternoon once again I'm Bob Dickey your host of taking the leap podcast 
are incredibly talented. Uh, guest this afternoon was Ann Byler, the founder of Auntie Ann's Pretzels. And what an amazing, heartwarming story and encouragement. I hope each and every one of you have taken great notes. We'll make sure to put uh, the books that have been referenced and the various uh, tools and resources in the show notes once again. But until next time, go out. Make a difference with your life. Know that you have a mission and a purpose and that each and every one of us are uniquely designed to have a huge impact in this globe. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to the Taking the Leap podcast with your host, Bob Dickey. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.takingtheleappodcast.com and bonvera.rocks. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Taking the Leap.